Hallelujah. Come on and give the Lord a shout of praise. You may be seated. When the Lord first called my wife and I to go to America as missionaries, and we went across from South Africa, went to the United States, landed with just $300. Kirsten, my oldest daughter, was five. Kelly, who's now gone home to be with the Lord, she was three. Kenneth was just seven months old. And when we landed in America in the middle of really December of 1987, the whole of the nation was in upheaval. Major ministries had collapsed. And in extra fact, it seemed like the most inopportune time to come to the country. I even said to the Lord, I said, man, if I'd have been here five years earlier, I mean, you walk into churches and it looked like a funeral. I mean, everything, it was like something had died. And 88 was no different. 87, 88, cataclysmic years in the body of Christ. Because when, when, a, when a leader falls, it affects everybody. You know, somebody said, well, they're not, I'm not of their denomination. It doesn't really matter. We have the same body of Christ. And the toe, if the toe gets hurt, you're going to feel it. And so that whole of 88 just began to cry out for God to come and move. I can remember many nights driving across the plains of America, just, just really calling to the Lord, said, Lord, I don't care what you do, but do something. Just come and please intervene. And I tell you, you have to be very careful when you begin to pray and ask God to come do something because he might just do it. And then you're going to have to deal with the consequences of it because many times we don't know what we're asking for. And so the whole of 88 was just crying out for God to come and move in a, in a supernatural way. And then January, February, March of 89, the same thing. And then in the month of April of 1989, on a Tuesday morning, something happened that totally transformed everything. I, be, I was teaching on the subject of the anointing. And on the Tuesday morning, right in the middle of the message, the very atmosphere of the room changed. It felt like the very air particles begin to move. And the only way I could describe it was it was holy. And people just begin to fall out of their seats without even anyone touching them. Some were just weeping uncontrollably. Others filled with great joy. Other people just shaking under the power of God. And I had to preach above the noise of the crowd. Because obviously it's not me. It's, it's the Lord. And so what do I do? I mean, somebody said, well, why didn't you stop? I said, well, there were other people just sitting looking at me. So I thought, well, I keep preaching to the people that are looking at me. And uh, it got... It got really noisy. It was like standing in front of a running river. And I can even remember talking to the Lord because I do a lot of praying while I preach. If you don't believe it, come stand where I stand. Look what I have to look at. You'd also pray <laughs> while you preached. And I said, Lord, I said, I said, Lord, you're ruining my meeting. And the Lord said to me, son, the way your meetings were going, it's worth ruining. And I said, Lord, come on and, and just ruin on. Little did I know the heat that we would take because of the move of the Spirit of God, as many would not understand that God wants to touch His church. And so I, you know, naively thought that the church would love joy. I didn't realize that people were into that much pain and uh, that religious people would not like to have joy. But I tell you, I promise you one thing right now when you get to heaven, you're going to hear these words Well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter thy into the joy of the Lord. Amen. 
No one's going to say to you, enter thou into the depression of the Lord. Or Peter, give him a straitjacket. No, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. So one of the things that the Lord said to me, he said, I'm touching my people. He said, you asked me to move, now I'm moving. And he, and he said, if you're ashamed of what I'm doing, I'll take it away from you and give it to another. And I said, no, Lord, I'm not ashamed. It's not about my name or reputation or anything. It's about the name of Jesus. And whatever the Holy Spirit wants to come do, he can come and do. And uh, so we, we embarked on one of the greatest adventures that has even brought us under this place in this hour. Even to stand here this morning is because of the wind of God. And there have been many revivals that have come and gone. But the move of God is at a constant that the Holy Spirit is still moving in the earth today. In a, in a powerful way, because he comes to those that are hungry and those that are thirsty. And when you're hungry and thirsty, he will come and visit you. And there's no reason why anyone should be talking about the way things were. I remember how it was, you know. It could be, it's about now. The Holy Spirit is in the now. Can you say amen? And so, I'm thankful, I'm thankful for what the Lord did you know, as it began to pick up momentum in 1990, hit Southern Africa, and then 91, 92, pick up momentum, 93, exploded in America, 94, around the world, 95. But I promise you, I would not want to go back to those days for anything in the world, because we are sitting right now on the brink of the greatest move of God that the world has ever seen. And everything, everything that God has done up to now has been preparatory, it's preparation for what's about to come. Because the only hope in the earth today is the church of Jesus Christ. is the body of Christ rising up in the power and the anointing of the Spirit of God. If you look at the governments of the world, it, they're broken at the highest levels. Your own government can't even keep a, 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 a prime minister. You know. so, and that's not just here. That's all over the place. So I'm not picking on Australia. I'm just telling you that the governments are broken. But I believe that the church of Jesus Christ that God is raising up in this hour without spot or blemish, full of the anointing, full of the word of God. We are the restraining force in the earth. Can you say amen? So, you know, what God did in the 90s when the Lord spoke to me in 96, we started a church in Tampa, Florida called The River. We have a Bible school. We have a school of worship, a school of government, raising people to run for office in, in government because we need godly people in authority, and we just started a Spanish Bible school. But uh, I'll tell you, some of the greatest meetings ever in the world has happened right at the home church. And it's been amazing the last 19 years. And now what's happening is churches are springing up all over the world. Bible schools are starting from Turkey, Istanbul, Turkey. We have a great church there to Finland, Helsinki, Finland, and then many other places. And it was not something we had planned. It just happened organically. With the, with the students, you know, graduating, people coming, God raising them up. So we feel that the best is yet to come, even though 34 years of ministry for me, um, I mean, 34 years of marriage for me, 35 years of ministry for me, I feel like we're just starting. We're just, we're just getting going. And, of course, some of you have maybe not seen us in a while. This is the shrunken version of me. <laughs> the Lord helped me lose the weight with no operation or anything like that. So... Uh, just let you know, God uh, helped shrink me um, about 160 pounds, which I'm not sure what, what do you measure in, in kilograms? Well, divide it by 2.2 and you'll get it. 72 kilos or something like that. Crazy. Anyway, I don't even know who that other person was, but I had to carry him around for a couple of years 
it got real tiring carrying around that person. And I, I used to lose a lot of weight, but looked behind and found it. And, uh, but I cried under the Lord, and he helped me. He really did. I'm telling you. One of my shirts now houses a homeless family in Haiti. Uh, I, I used to buy my shirts from rent to tent. Um, we were driving through Africa, and I recognized the fabric of, 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 of a tent. They were having a big crusade under. I said, my wife, I said, that was one of my jackets. The, anyway. Now, I hung on to the scripture. I must decrease. He must increase. Amen. So the Lord is good, isn't he? I want you to take your Bibles and go with me, please, to the book of Matthew. Now, don't miss tonight. Uh, let's pack everybody in your jammer, man. Please don't stay awake because you think there's not going to be enough seats. Just get here tonight. We only have tonight. That's it. Go with me to the book of Matthew. Chapter 17, and the word I'm going to bring you this morning is, is for this church and for the city of Adelaide. <clears throat> I want to read from verse 14 of chapter 17. And when they were come to the multitude, there came a certain man kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic. And sore vexed, and oft times he falleth in the fire, and oft times in the water. And I besought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long will I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart. And they said, why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. Now the Lord really began to speak to me concerning the church of the 21st century. That in many instances, the church has moved so far away from what it's supposed to be. Because you think about what Jesus said there, about the ability that we have to move mountains, even if we had faith as a mustard seed. So could it be possible that we cannot find Christians on the earth today with even mustard seed faith? Because there are mountains that must be moved. There's mountains that have to be moved right here in Adelaide. What would happen if God would give you such a revival that would engulf 10% of the population of the city? Can you imagine a church of over 100,000 people right here in the city of Adelaide? Now some people would say, well, that's impossible. But I want you to know that nothing is impossible with God. And I believe that God is raising up people in this hour that will literally move mountains. You know, in America, we, we've really just been focusing on the nation. Really pray for America. It's in a very critical condition. I don't have time to get into t today. 
But uh, we have, we've been focusing on even the last 12 months going into the government, into the Congress, into the Senate, meeting at the highest levels of government. We had 15 nights right by the White House. I rented Constitution Hall. And, I mean, I went into the government. I read them the Riot Act, told them what's going on. They didn't know how I knew. All. They, one congressman said, how do you know all of this stuff? He said, it looks like you have access to special intelligence. I said, I actually do. And I said, but I represent the kingdom of heaven. And we had 31,000 people get saved that, that first trip to, to Washington, D.C. We were just there now a few months ago, our second trip to D.C. And we, we prayed with over 70 Congress people to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So there's some things that we feel that God's really spoken to us to go into the governments of this world. Next year, we are renting a building right by the Houses of Parliament in the United Kingdom, and we're going to go into the British government. And I am praying, so you can be in prayer with me about it. I'm believing the Lord to come to Canberra and to go into the Australian government. So be in prayer. We're not coming in as looking for anything. We're coming in as representing the kingdom of heaven. And at the very most, we get people saved. At the very least, put the fear of God in them. Because they're going to stand before God. A lot of people bow to the politician, but politicians really there to serve the people. And we, we don't bow to any politician, any president, any king, any potentate. Are oh, you listening to me? We serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and his name is Jesus. But nonetheless, I said all that to say this, that it's going to take men and women of God that have faith as a mustard seed to move mountains. Now, um, he went on to say that this kind cometh not out by prayer and fasting. We've been taking our church into prayer and fasting. We did a three-day prayer and fasting. And then we've been doing on Wednesdays, we've been uh, doing prayer and fasting. And a lot of people think that if you, if you fast, that you have to fast 40 days. But that's not even, that doesn't even say so in the Bible. In actual fact, Cornelius was in his house. He was an Italian and he was praying and fasting. And then the fourth day, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. So it's not like, well, I did 40 days. I've met a lot of people that fasted 40 days. And personally, they should have just eaten. <laughs> you understand what I'm talking about? No, because I meet the people. I'm on the 40th day of my fast. And you can't see any difference. Listen, God's word doesn't lie. So if you press in, if you pressed in, then you would see things that the Bible says you can see. Supernatural things. Can you say amen? amen? Now, one of the things that I love to do is study history. Not the rewritten, re-edited history that we've been pumped. But you go back and you can get a hold of stuff from 200 years ago. And you can find out what actually happened, what actually took place. It's pretty amazing when you begin to study. And so what I do, I'll get sometimes audio books because I can listen to them while I work. And you drive in the car, you can listen to a book or whatever. And I ended up getting a hold of the writings of Marco Polo. How many heard of Marco Polo? Now, Marco Polo was born in Venice in Italy. And his father and his uncle were merchant explorers, merchants, traders. And they had set out one month prior to the birth of Marco. And they begin to journey to the provinces of China, the provinces of the Great Khan. And they went out on the journey that took them 19 years. Now, in a time when there was no internet, phones, communication or anything, by the time they arrived back in Venice, Marco was 19 years old, 
and his mother had died giving birth to him, so they didn't know about it. They found out about it. Marco was raised by some of the other family members. So you can imagine him growing up as a kid, thinking of his father, his uncle, and the journeys. So why would we not think that he wouldn't embark on a similar kind of a journey, which he did? He took off and spent 29 years going across China and just traveling. Back in those days in the year was round about 1225, 1230, round about in that time, 1240, 1250, when he traveled. And uh, you can imagine traveling today, but imagine traveling in the year 1230. Just totally different. I mean, we got on a plane, left London, 13 and a half hours in Singapore, five hour layover, seven hours into Adelaide. But back in those days, imagine trying to come from London to Adelaide. Months and months, and, and then you might not even get there. You could be waylaid and shipwrecked and <coughs> on some island and never get out. Marco, in the writing, was in ancient English, so some of the words I'm going to quote is, is what, what it said. Now, you can get the abridged version, but I always tell people get the unabridged version. The abridged version is being edited. It's like if people had their way, we would have an abridged version of the Scripture. Book of Acts wouldn't be there, and there'd be many things that wouldn't be there. That's actually happening right now in America. The Bible companies are being owned by secular corporations, and they're rewriting the Scripture. The same company that prints the Satanic Bible prints the Bible now. Yes, in America. We, we need to claim our Bible companies back, and uh, we, we need to have companies that print the Bible and don't change the Scripture. But anyway, so... Marco said that he came to the province of Iraq and to the city of Baghdad. Baghdad was on the trade route from east to west. It was a city that had uh, great spices, tapestries, and many, many things that would come on the trade route. It was a city of great wealth. And many of the Christians actually controlled part of the trade route from east to west. They were very wealthy. And uh, he said that, that the whole area was under the control of a certain caliph of the Mohammedan faith. And what this man would do, he took it upon himself to see how he could dispossess the Christians of their wealth. And so one of the days, his wise men came to him and found, they said, we found the thing that's going to do it for you of how to get the wealth of the believers. There's a scripture that said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, and that's it. They're going to have to prove it. They're going to have to prove it. And so he called the Christians together in the year 1225. 100,000 believers came together. The Jacobites, the Nestorians, 100,000 believers came together. And they stood in front of him and he said, Do you believe this scripture that if you have faith as a mustard seed, you shall say to mount and be moved? They said, We do. He said, Good, because on, in 10 days from now, you will meet me in certain valley and you will move a mountain. If you move a mountain, I will convert to Christianity. If you don't, you will convert to my faith. And if you will not, you will die. And I'm taking everything you have. So what, was, what, what could you say that was? That was a showdown. So what did the Christians do? They fell on their faces. They cried out to God night and day. Even the children were on their faces. There was not one believer that was not praying. They were crying out to God and asking God that God would give them 
and this is what they called it, the divine grace so as to move a mountain, which really is the gift of faith. We need the gift of faith. And it's probably the way I live. I, the Lord hit me with a gift of faith stick. I mean, that's just how it is. Out of all the nine, the nine gifts, if you, if you said you can only have one, I said just leave me that one, the gift of faith. I'll, I could do anything with that. That's like a power thing. I mean, my God, if you get hit with the gift of faith, you can't imagine what's going to happen this next week. I mean, we know what we can do with our faith. How I many know what you can do with your faith? But imagine getting hit with God's faith. Oh, yeah. It's over, baby. And so uh, they were praying for the gift of divine grace. On the eighth day, a bishop, a very pious bishop, the writing says, had a vision to go to a village about two hours north of where he lived. And in that village, there was a one-eyed shoemaker. And on that one-eyed shoemaker was the gift of divine grace so as to move the mountain. And so the bishop took off. He arrived in the village. He went to the shoemaker's store. He could see there it was. Walked in. The guy had one eye. Fortunately, thankfully. Because if you're looking for a mountain to be moved and you were told that a one-eyed shoemaker had the gift of divine grace, you don't want a two-eyed shoemaker. (laughs) And so he walked in and he said, listen, here's the plight of the Christians. We have... 10 days, which we've got two more left. We've got to move a mountain. If we don't, we lose everything we have. And while I was praying, I saw a vision of you, one-eyed shoemaker, that God said that on you was the gift of divine grace to move the mountain. And the one-eyed shoemaker said, no, you got the wrong person, that he did not even feel worthy that such a gift would be bestowed upon him. But the bishop was very, very forceful. You have to come. You must come now. You've got to save the church. And so under much persuasion, the, the one-eyed shoemaker went. Now, how many want to know how he got one eye? Very interesting story, how he got one eye. On a certain day, a very beautiful woman came to his store to have her foot measured so that she could have a shoe made for her. And as she sat down, the writing said that her skirt fell open and it exposed her leg. And the writing said that it aroused in the shoemaker a momentary concupiscence, which you can find out what that is later. <laughs> and, uh, and so the shoemaker, remembering the scripture that says, if your right eye offend, you pluck it out, he immediately... Now, I know we think this is extreme, but follow me here for a moment. He immediately dismissed the woman, would take no further measurements, and he went in the back room and took a hook, and he gouged out his eye, for he felt that it would be better to enter into heaven with one eye than to go to hell with two. Now, we think that that's totally extreme. However, yet, when a mountain needed to be moved, it fell upon a one-eyed shoemaker. So, obviously, this one-eyed shoemaker had some kind of connection with the Lord. Are you listening to me? Because if God wanted the mountain moved in Australia, who is he going to look? Who is he going to find? I'm not telling people to go pluck out their eyes, but there must be a work of the Spirit of God that must be done in the life of the believer. I just think that people are too casual about their faith. They are too casual about serving God. People think if they come to church on Sunday morning, they've done God a favor. What are you talking about? We should be radical. We should be in church every time the door opens. 
We should be the most on fire bunch of people, winning souls, laying hands on the sick, casting out devils, the biggest givers. Are you listening to me? Why? Because we serve God. Anyway, so the one I should make it goes with the bishop. They get to where the Christians are on the 10th day. They got up way before dawn and they begin to pray very fervently. How many think you would pray fervently on the 10th day? They went out to the valley where the caliph and all his men were. And there ahead of them was the mountain. They gave the shoemaker a pole with a cross on it. And basically said, okay, go. <laughs> you know, hey, there's the mountain there. Go do, you know, go do what you came to do. And so he went out and he knelt down and he began to pray. And he said, oh God of heaven and earth. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, grant this day the gift of divine grace so as to move the mountain and save your people this day. And then he got up and he pointed the mountain and said, O mountain, be removed in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, like that. And the mountain moved out of the way. Gone. And the writing says that the caliph and his men were overcome with stupefaction, which means they were overcome. Uh, 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 uh. For hours. (laughs) And the caliph converted to Christianity. Later on when he died, they found a cross under his cossack. So he was not buried with his predecessor. They buried him in an unmarked grave. But yes, one of the things that the caliph said to the believers, he said, listen, if you cannot even move a mountain, then that proves to me that you are reprobate to your faith. Because you don't even have faith as a mustard seed. And you look at the way the world's heading. We're heading for some showdowns here. And the Bible says, though, that no, that God will do exploits in his name. Most Christians don't even do sploits. (laughs) We're supposed to do exploits. They celebrated every year. On that day, till this day, they celebrated the day of the divine grace as the mountain moved. And I have a friend who has a church in Baghdad, uh, the bishop of Baghdad, Canon Andrew White. He was at our church, and I said, Canon, can you find out for me if you can find these people? And he called me about four months later. He said, Rodney, they're here. They're in the mountains. And he said, they still celebrate the day that the mountain moved. Now, you ask yourself the question, what is it going to take this modern church to step into the place that God has called the church to step into? And it's not out of religion that we do these things. It's out of a relationship that we do these things. But what is it going to take Because in many instances, the church kowtows and just conforms and just doesn't want to rock the boat and just wants to be part of the status quo, if you think about it. There are churches in America, mega churches, with 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 people. The city does not even know they're there. People flying from all over the world, but no one in the city knows they're there. The crime rate is rife. Everything's in upheaval. People see them on television, whatever, but they're not impacting the society where they are. 
our county, where our churches in Tampa, Florida, the crime rate is down 67%. And that's according to the Tampa Police Department and the FBI. You can pull up the stats and look at it on the Internet. And they say that we don't even know why the crime rate is down. Well, I'll tell you why the crime rate is down. Because from 99, we've mapped out the whole city. We've knocked on every door. We go into all the schools. We go into the hospitals. We go into the, into the university campuses. And we are, we, are, we are winning souls, leading people to Christ. We have trained 170 local churches around us to do the same thing we're doing. Because the church is the influencer. We are light. And when we come in, darkness flees. So no matter what the enemy is planned, don't you understand that we're living in the final hour? Don't you realize that? That everything's hitting for one world government. Do you understand that? Do, do you understand that everything's hitting for one money system and the rise of the Antichrist? How many understood this? Do you understand that? I know that people don't even believe that. But let me tell you, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see this. The Pope is about to be in America in this next week and going to address the United Nations and also going to address the Congress and possibly, I might be wrong with this, but he's going to be calling for global governance and possibly a one world religion. That's how close we are to this thing. And this is not the hour for the church to play around. Jesus is coming very, very soon. You say, you mean you believe in the catching away of the church? Yes, I believe it. Because in the book of Acts, you can read about it when he was leaving. The angels even said, why do you look up like this? The same Jesus, as you see him go, is coming in like manner. He is coming, and he's coming very, very soon. And he's coming back for a glorious church. A church that's not in bed with the world. A church that's not living a compromise. A church that's on fire, that's radical. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. And so if you look at the children of Israel, when he brought them out of Egypt, that they stripped the Egyptians, and he healed them. The Passover, you study the whole thing. There was not one sick or feeble one among their tribes. Could it be that just prior to Jesus coming, we stripped the Egyptians, and everyone's walking in the power of God, and then, and then he takes us. And there's that marriage supper of the Lamb. If you understand what's going to happen in that, you don't want to miss out on that marriage supper of the Lamb. The fact that he's got a stone, a white stone with your name in it, that nobody else knows what that means. So people are caught up in the now. They're caught up in the now. They're comforting, worrying about this and worrying about frivolous, stupid things. Whether people like, do the people like me? Who cares? Who cares? Does God like you? That's the whole thing. Who cares whether they like you or don't like you? In my spirit, I felt to tell Pastor David, the Lord told me, you can travel the world, you can have great meetings, and you've already seen some of that. But God spoke to me, told me to tell you that if you would, you can ask him, and he said, I'll give you the city. He said, I will shake this city, and this city will be a sign and a wonder. Do not, do not look at Adelaide. As though it was the least of these. For others look at the other cities like Melbourne and Sydney and even Brisbane and say, oh, they are the ones. But no, the hand of God is on this city. And the roots of the move of the Spirit of God is in this city. And God is about to do something. 
And I feel in my spirit that God's going to cause you to move mountains. And the next three to five years are going to be the most amazing things are going to happen in your ministry. The most amazing thing. That's what I felt in my spirit. So much so that it's going to astound many. Because it will happen. It shall be the suddenness of God. And many that are even in the know and people that are experienced and others that have great ministries shall see that what the Spirit of God is doing is so by the Holy Ghost. And they'll know that it's not man, for it shall be the suddenness. And the Lord would have you know, whatever you desire, son, I'll give it unto you. If you desire to just travel the world and have me. But if you desire to see a city shaken, I shall shake it by my mighty hand through your life. For I've even been surrounding you with people that will come and hold up your hands. But there shall more shall be added. And it shall come even the buildings and the properties that shall come into your hands. And I see thousands upon thousands of people coming. And the glory of God shall be made manifest. For you have not been ashamed of the Holy Ghost. And because you've not been ashamed of the Holy Ghost, he shall not be ashamed of you. And you shall see the hand of God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord Jesus. And you shall not hold back anymore. Neither shall you say, well, I'm just Tim's son. For my hand is upon you. And with great boldness, my word shall burn in your life and through your mouth. Hallelujah. Amen. So it's like the Lord's telling me, it's up to you. He says, if you... He's, uh, he loves you so much, he said, he'll give you what you want. If you just want to travel and have some nice meetings and put them up on Instagram, that'll be great. <laughs> but, he says, but he says, if you want to see a city shaken, he said, I'll allow you to see a city shaken. Yeah. And this will be a place of, of prayer and mountain-moving faith. And people that should be raised up right here. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. For your heart has always been hungry for these things. You've studied many things of how I moved in days gone by. But the best is yet to come, son. For he saves the best wine until last. And the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former house. So rejoice and be glad. For great shall be the victory. And you shall not worry about the finances. But I see all the money coming and released to get the job done. For the property, for the buildings, for television. I see God opening television to you in a big way. And you'll reach out around the world from here. And many will be sent out from, from here. I see a training facility, Bible Institute, being trained, people trained up. Amen. Launched. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory to God. I tell you, I, I know how important the church family is because... Back in Tampa, Florida, we've got a family of people. You can have many crusades around the world, but what do you have? Just a one-night meeting or two, one-week meeting. But uh, I believe in the local church. Always have. 
and always will. Amen. So don't worry about You will not even have to work this out with your head because the gift of faith is coming on you. Father, let the same gift of faith that you put on me, put it on him. Put it on him, Lord. Put the gift of faith on him right now. Like a coat. He shall decree it and shall be established. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You better get ready. You better get ready. <laughs> you better get ready. Big things are about to happen, let me tell you right now. You better get ready. This is not just about building of, of a church. This is about shaking a city, shaking a region. Amen. Many people build churches, but the region never gets shaken. God wants this city, this region shaken by his mighty hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, blessed Jesus. I tell you, the five gods falling all over this place right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Come here, sister. The power of God's on you right now. Just step right in the aisle. Just step in the aisle. Lift your hands. Jesus. Fire from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. We just loose that anointing. Hallelujah. 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 There's many senior people here that the Lord tell me to tell you your time is not done yet. Your work is not done yet. That God is needing you to come alongside the younger people because some of them have lost their way. So do not write yourself off and say, oh, this is just for the younger people. No, absolutely not. Your best days are ahead. Because God shall take the next five years and cause it to be like 40. Oh, yes. Do not sit and say, oh, yeah, he speaks just amongst the young people. Because those that are senior, those that are they, your hair your, on your head are white with the frost of many winters. I don't even know if you have frost here in Adelaide. But, but with the wisdom that God has imparted unto you, that you shall impart unto another generation. Amen. Hallelujah. I tell you, I thank God for all the seniors. Let me tell you right now. Thank God for the wisdom and what they have. And the younger people do well to learn. Amen. When you get around people that have lived longer than you, just shut up. And listen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I, the power of God is just falling all over this place. Come here, brother. Come here. Step right over here. Just come right over here. Lift your hands. Lift your hands. Fire! The fire of God. He's okay. He's all right. He, trust me, I'm a doctor. He's going to be fine. He's going to be okay. All will be well. You don't have to worry about anything today unless your name is Ananias and your wife's name is Sapphira. You, you have nothing to worry about. Hallelujah. So how much faith do we actually need? Not that much, really. Who's seen a mustard seed? I mean, you know how big that is? It's very small. How much faith do you actually need? Not much.